When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And the Jews who were there with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. And they followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. They took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father, for you are our rock. You are our redeemer. Amen. I love the feast of all saints. I love it because it is an opportunity for us to gather together as a body and claim the faith that we've inherited. It's an opportunity to remember the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ works itself out in the lives of ordinary people. It's an opportunity to move from grief to hope, from death to life, from disappointment to discipleship. The very fact that we celebrate the lives and the faith of those who have died is itself an expression 
of the deepest kind of Christian hope. See, there are lies that get told about the Christian faith, often by those who themselves claim the name of Jesus. If we have enough faith, we will not get sick. That if we have enough faith, we will always be healed. That if we have enough faith, we will never be harmed. And the fact that Christians for centuries have set aside a day and days to celebrate the lives of the saints, which we believe that all who are in Christ are saints, but we don't often designate that, that title upon people in a formal way until after they have died that we believe that even in the lives of those who have died and those who are no longer with us and those whom God did not ultimately at the end of all things protect from death, did not heal them from whatever afflicted them, that still we can see God's glory in the midst of that. And we can do it because we, we worship and adore a crucified Lord, a God who himself has died. A day like today that's deeply liturgical, that's full of religious action like lighting candles and joining together at the communion table is a day that carries a great deal of meaning because all of these things remind us of who we are as Christians. They're not empty rituals. They are rituals that remind us of the gospel. There are those who've been executed for their faith even in the 21st century. There are those who've lived with debilitating illness despite their faithfulness. It doesn't mean that they didn't believe. There are those, a whole host of saints who've died and their lives are worthy of celebrating and God was at work in them even though we grieve their loss. If you watch for it, There are clues for the kinds of hope that we maintain as Christians in all kinds of surprising places. One example that's easy to forget about is in every cemetery in the Western world that's been shaped by Christianity, all of the graves face east. They face east because Jesus said that his return was going to be like the rising sun. It was going to be bright in the east, but the light was going to cast all the way to the west. And so we put people in graves with their toes facing east and their heads facing west so that when they get lifted up, they'll be facing the rising sun, remembering that Jesus is coming back. And as Martha said, there will be a day of resurrection when everyone is called forth to live with the Lord. It's written even in the tombstones and in places that we would expect only death, things like rest in peace, that their death is only a short rest before they are called forth from their graves. Even the dates on the tombstone most often are designated in the year of our Lord. Their lives are set in the shadow of the cross. That Jesus has come and died, and this person has lived and died, and they will be raised with the Lord at the end of all days. For Christians, we believe that death is not our greatest enemy, though it is an enemy. 
Death is a byproduct of sin. It enters into the world, not because of any of our individual sins, but because of the sin of humanity that starts with Adam and Eve and carries all the way forward. We read these passages in Psalms and Isaiah this morning uh, that describe what it looks like to enter into full communion with God. We're no longer separated from God by sin and by death. It looks like a feast with the best food and the best wine. It looks like approaching God with clean hands and a pure heart. It looks like abiding with God. That Right now, Isaiah describes a veil that separates us from the Lord. A veil that keeps us from seeing the glory of God in all of its fullness as the world continues to be broken and to face death. In this passage from John 11 that we read together, we see Jesus. We see the grieving of this faithful family. And it's obvious they've been talking with one another. They say the same thing to Jesus. They just can't contain it. When Mary and Martha approach the Lord, they say, if you'd been here, it wouldn't have gone this way. We wouldn't be grieving like we are if you had been here. Lazarus would not have died. Lazarus had a brief illness that led to his death. And Jesus, if you notice what he does, it's the shortest verse in all of Scripture. In Greek, it's just, it's just two words, or really one word. All wrapped up in one verb, he wept. Jesus cried with them. He cried with them knowing full well what he was about to do. That he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he wept. This is what Christian grief looks like for us as well. We don't live in denial of the pain of death. We don't act like death does not hurt. Jesus himself weeps with Mary and Martha and with a whole community that's traveling around with them, weeping with them so that they know they're not alone as they grieve. The whole group was ready to get up and go with Mary to the tomb because they thought she was going there to weep and they didn't want her to be alone. And instead they follow her all the way to Jesus where they weep together there. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that God was going to give him the strength to call Lazarus out of the tomb. And he uses this as a witness to who he is. That Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. Mary and Martha are right. When the Lord is present, there is no death. And we are waiting for the day when we abide in the full communion of God. When there is no shame that we have to deal with, when there is no grief that we have to deal with, when every single tear that drips from our eyes is wiped away by the Lord Himself. And we wait for that day. We hope in that day. We are certain, as certain as Jesus was, that the Father would answer His prayer, that that day is coming. And still, we grieve. Sometimes even we weep. So on this day, we look at the lives of every saint. All of the disciples and apostles who passed their faith on to all of the preachers and teachers and simple followers of Jesus who've discipled their kids and their grandkids, who've helped them grow in faith so that the message could come to each one of us here 
today. And today we remember that every saint, every single one of them is remarkable not for their own power, for their own glory, or their own goodness, but because of the ways that they let God take center stage in their lives. The stories of the saints matter because of the way that those stories participate in God's story. Their stories matter because, as John the Baptist said, they have decreased so that the Lord could increase. They've become last in order to become first. Their stories need to be told because through their lives, even through their deaths, their suffering, their sickness, we see what communion with God can look like so that we can anticipate it in the world to come, so that we ourselves can enjoy it in the present. In a few minutes, we're going to gather around the communion table. We're going to join together as those gathered here and with all the communion of the saints. We're going to say a creed that says we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, and the communion of saints. That we believe that mystically as Christians, we are united with the whole body of Christ spread throughout space and time. That in Jesus, we are connected to one another, even the saints who've gone before us even those who've died. We believe that there is mystical, sweet communion with all the saints. And this way, All Saints Day teaches us not just about Christian hope. It doesn't just deliver us from simple grief. It doesn't just bring us from death to life. It doesn't just bring us from disappointment to discipleship. It brings us into understanding what the church is and why it is that we cannot be Christians without the church. We're bound together, not only for this life, but for all of eternity with one another and the Lord. Today we celebrate this. That though we have a certain hope that there will come a day when the, the veil is lifted and we abide with the Lord in all of his glory and fullness, when we sit around his table and eat all of the best food, and drink the best wine with all of the best people who've been made perfect by the grace of God. In the short term, God gives us enough. Enough food for the journey. He invites us to gather around a simpler table with simpler things and unite with the same people for just a moment. To join together with the church and all of the saints to have communion. To be bound together in Christ confident of the hope that is offered to us and aware that the rest of the journey may still be difficult and it will be eternally worth it. Pray that wherever you are today as one who is living, as one who might be grieving, that you can sense that hope as we worship together. As you've heard these stories from Scripture, as you've heard this word from me, that maybe, just maybe, Christian faith can take root a little bit more so that one day you too, by the grace of God, might be called a saint. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, if we are to become saints, your grace must be far better than we could ask for or imagine. But we trust you. We trust you that you will make us saints. We trust that 
you will maintain communion with us and with all of your people, even through death. We trust that in you we can find resurrection and life. We pray, O Lord, that as we look at the lives of the saints, that we might see the possibility for us too to follow after them. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, he who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.